Pastor, thank you for having me. And um, I don't sound like a Texan, although I've been here, I think, 33 years, I think. A long time. So um, I've picked up a Tennessean accent. <laughs> so good to be here. Um, before I'm, I'm going to share our testimony, I want to be able to go in all the detail, perhaps halfway. There's so much to share. And I'm going to st start with my late dad in South Africa. Um, and then from there, how we came to the United States. And we came the right way, all right? <laughs> but what we're going to do, um, want to just sing one song? And this is going to be in Zulu. And uh, our brother does the, if you can put the Zulu words on here. Yeah, right. It says, Somlandela, I will follow Jesus. Is that all right? All right? Somlandela, Somlandelu Jesus. It's easy. Somlandela, Yonke in the Somlandela, Somlandelu Jesus. La poaya corner, Somlandela. Yeah, you come in. I will follow, I will follow Jesus. I will follow everywhere he leads. I will follow, I will follow Jesus. La paia corna, somlande la. Those that sang with me, you just sang in Zulu, all right? Yeah, Italian wives, you just sang in Zulu. So good to be here, and thank you, Pastor, again, Pastor John Mark. Uh, my middle name is John, so we've got something in common. Um, I am married. I've got one wife and three kids. I think that's the way it should be. One wife and three kids and a few grandchildren. Uh, I'm going to just read the scripture, and then we're going to get into the testimony. Uh, Philippians 2, verse 27, Only let your conduct, conduct be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or I am absent, I may hear of your affairs, that you stand fast in one spirit, with one mind striving together for the faith of the gospel, and not in any way terrified by your adversaries, which is to them a proof of Perdition, but to you of salvation that from God. I'm going to start with my late dad. His uh, dad came from Scotland, so McGregor, and then my mom's uh, dad came from Portugal, and uh, so that's where I get the Portuguese Spanish name Manuel. And uh, how they arrived in South Africa. In the 1800s, there was a gold rush. Most of the diamonds that your wives got, that five carat, that may just be from South Africa, the five carat diamond that she's got. Because most of the diamonds of the world, 90% comes from South Africa, and even the gold. But um, my dad was a, a, a businessman, meat cutter. And um, he told us one day, while he was in uh, the butcher shop, a lady came up, and her name was Sarah. 
and she had a little baby on her hand. And what he noticed, there were burn marks on the, on the hands and on the knees. And my dad said, Sarah, what's happening? Because there's a lot of poverty. I just read this morning, the unemployment in South Africa now is 30%. And um, in the northern states, we complain when it's 3 and 5%. But not in Texas, we don't complain about. That's a good unemployment rate, below 5 but there it's almost 30%. It's a lot of poverty. And uh, she said, and she said uh, Mr. McGregor, weekends, myself and my husband, we get so drunk. They live in uh, like a shack and corrugated iron in the winter, and they make a fire right there. And they said, we have no control of ourselves. And our little baby, she crawled into the fire, and that's how she got burned. And it brought so much tears to my dad. He said, God, you've got to do something. So let me go further. That time, my dad would get up like three in the morning to go to the butcher shop. He and another guy was running there to cut up the meat. And uh, that time in South Africa, it's still like this, they've got butcher shops, like in England. Um, white shirt, tie, and a white coat. They call themselves meat cutters or meat surgeons. And uh, the, the alarm went off. And he told my mom, I'm not going to get up, I'm too tired. That was like three in the morning. And he put the snooze button on, and he fell into a deep sleep and he had a dream. This dream changed our destiny. It was the second week in February 1956. By the way, I wasn't born yet. All right. So um, in the dream, he saw himself in his butcher shop. And the phone rang. And he picked up the phone, and the voice on the phone said, is this George McGregor? That's what my dad's name, George. He said, yes. And the voice on the phone said, read Matthew 15, verses 7, 8, and 9. And my dad woke up. He woke up my mom. Her name is Mary. She, both of them has gone to be with Jesus. He said, Mary, God just spoke to me. And my mom said, George, come on. You said God spoke to you? He said, God just spoke to me. And he gave me a scripture, and uh, my dad said, where's our Bible? They knew they had a Bible, but they didn't know where it was. So finally they found the Bible, and I can just see them <laughs> blowing off the dust, never read their Bible. And my dad went from Genesis to find Matthew chapter 15, 7, 8, and 9. And he uh, went, you know, and finally when he got there, and I'm just paraphrasing what uh, the Bible says right there, you hypocrites, well did Isaiah prophesy about you, saying, You honor me with your mouth and your lips, but your heart is far from me. In vain you honor the doctrines of man. My dad said he burst out in tears. My mom said, my dad fell on his knees right in front of the bedside and gave his life to Jesus. Right there. That's a major conversion. He went to his priest because he belonged to the Church of England, he said, priest, something happened. God spoke to me. The priest said, George, that was only a dream. It will fade away. Let me tell you, that dream never left him. So that really changed our whole dynamics in the family. I'm one of seven brothers. We are seven brothers and one sister. I'm the third youngest. And um, I've got to brag on Jesus this morning. All seven brothers are preachers of the gospel. <laughs> That's unique. Mom and dad that were praying for us. 
So, I'm just saying I'll never be able to fit everything in, but uh, I hope there's next, uh, next time in 2020 to continue the testimony. So, um, my dad had that compassion. God started dealing with him uh, to go full-time in ministry. And um, let me share this. Sometimes we uh, don't think God can work in a certain way, but God can do whatever he wants to do. I've heard that before, but God can do whatever he wants to do. Uh, a prophet, and I believe in the, in the fivefold ministry, a prophet came to my dad and said, uh, God says you must go in full-time ministry. Leave your job and just go and preach. There's such a lot of needs in Africa. And by the way, every uh, year we go back with the missions team. I don't think we're going to do it this year, but next year again for 10 days. And uh, I've got one brother that passes a church in Johannesburg, South Africa. So all the brothers are here except him. And um, this prophet came and my dad said, you know, um, I've got seven children. My youngest brother was still on the way. He wasn't born yet. And my mom gave him a lot of opposition. Not in a bad way, just like a wife, you know. Uh, who's going to take care of us? And um, the man came again. God says, you must go in full-time ministry. Just go and preach the gospel. And uh, my dad didn't understand that. But what he did, he would go every night uh, to a church service. They had it, they called it cottage meetings. It was in homes. Because my mom didn't understand this. She's from a Catholic background. George, you're crazy. Every night you're in church. And the Lord was testing my dad too. Some of the stuff I'm going to share some of you may think, that's impossible. Believe me, with God, nothing is impossible. God works in mysterious ways. His ways are not our ways. He works in a, a, a different level. So, one night, on a Friday night, my mom said, I'm going to go with you. Every night you say, you say you're in a church service, I'm going to go with you. And uh, that night, before they left, my dad got to his car. Yeah, my mom was already waiting for him. Now, I've been married 37 long years. That's a long time. 99% of the time, I'm in the vehicle before my wife gets there. Guys, don't raise your hand if you've got the same thing. That's just, they always have to take a little longer. All right? But my mom was waiting for my dad. And my dad said, so you're going with? So they drove to a, a, a house there where you're going to have the service. And as they entered the house, the brother of the house said, <coughs> Brother McGregor, we, our speaker didn't show up. Will you be able to share the gospel? My dad just started talking about Jesus and the experience he had. And he gave an altar call. Guess who came to accept Jesus? My mom. <laughs> and now both of them are just serving the Lord. But uh, back to this uh, prophet that came. They came back from a service and... Um, just hear what I'm going to say. They came back from an amazing service, and my dad was driving, and there was a lady sitting at the back, and he turned his head and told this lady, what a wonderful service we had. And, uh, but this prophet told him, if you are disobedient, you're going to be involved in a wreck. Is that God? I believe God can do whatever he wants to, to get your attention. 
And as he turned back, my mom screamed, George, there's a truck coming. And uh, my dad couldn't turn his head back, his neck, and they hit that truck head on. And my mom's face was cut from here, way up. And um, that scar was there until the day we laid it to rest. And my dad, uh, his, uh, the, the steering wheel broke on his chest. The lady at the back, nothing went, uh, happened to her. They took them to the hospital and uh, somebody prayed for my dad there. He got up and he started praying for the people in the hospital. You know, he's bold. The man is bold. Just got saved, man, anointed by God, and with all the pain, it's gone after somebody prayed for him. And for three months, he stayed home, studied the Word. God started using him in miracles, praying for people. Because when you minister in Africa, um, South Africa, that was most of the places we ministered, uh, a miracle can be worth a thousand sermons. You tell them about Jesus, you know, and then there's a lot of people sick. And I believe that God can heal people. By stripes we are healed. And he would, after he would preach, he'd say, somebody perhaps deaf or blind or... And there's a lot of people like that. And my dad would just pray for them. And then when they see that, the power of God, they get excited. So um, for three months, he stayed home. People brought food. The rent was paid. It's, I'm telling you, miracles. My dad and mom, especially my mom, we were very close to my mom. And she would say the cupboards sometimes were empty. And my dad would lay his hands on the cupboards. And then there would be a knock on the door. Is this where the McGregors live? God told us to bring you groceries. So, as we grew up we're on a farm, seven brothers, our sister, she was so spoiled. Can you imagine being the only sister among seven brothers? Spoiled, never got a spanking. Before my dad could spank us, she would scream. <clears throat> and on that farm, you know, <clears throat> that's where we learned part of ministry. We're little, and then we would imitate uh, Dr. Billy Graham. Uh, he would preach, you know, with his hand. And, you know, that's, that was the foundation. And my mom and dad traveled quite a bit as missionaries in South Africa. And many times we would be at home. And as we grew up, we started getting into the tent ministry. That's very popular at that time in South Africa, in the 70s and 80s. And then we realized why I had seven boys. We had to put up the tents. <laughs> oh, big tents, sitting about 1,000, 2,000, depends on uh, the field. And um, I thank you guys for being here. We had guys that would uh, work with us full-time, you know. They want to be on uh, full-time and go from city to city and put up the tents. And then uh, sometimes uh, we would get up like five in the morning to put up the tent. That night we start our first service. Then some of these guys, you know, would come with their Bible and a little suit. Uh, we said, come on, help us with the tent. No, we called to preach. No, we said... Our dad will preach tonight. You need to get that suit off and come and hit some sledgehammers. So uh, that was actually the start of our ministry, and we saw God taking care of our family. A lot of hardship. Um, in the 70s, I'll, I'll share this to you. Uh, we had a system called the apartheid. 
that people couldn't be together in one area. And even in the tent, the government told my dad, um, if you put up your tent, you've got a rope, need to put a rope in the center, uh, whites on this side and the other people on this side. And my dad said, I'm not going to do that. They said, you can be arrested. So what um, <laughs> they, the government would do, they would send like, um, I cannot use the word spying, they were surveillance. Is that a better PC word? Surveilling, but actually spying. And they would send their, their secret guys to come and sit in the audience, see what my dad did. But God gave my dad so much wisdom. My oldest brother, he would lead worship, and he would let him sing the national anthem. And when the national anthem would be sung, those guys had to stand up, you know, and put their hands on their heart. So then that's how they were exposed. But he never exposed him. He said, just good to have our government officials here. Give them a hand. <laughs> so we grew up, you know, and my dad had other guys that did the worship and playing the music. And a pastor can tell you, the hardest people to work with are musicians. Amen. <laughs> <laughs> right. We're not talking about God, uh, and not, I'm not talking about those in Texas. In other uh, states like Tennessee, they have an attitude. They think they are the people that really draws the people. And it's actually, you know, if you lift Jesus up, he will draw. So my dad had a few guys because we were growing up, you know, and they were playing, and then sometimes, I'm not going to play tonight, I've got a headache, or I miss my wife. He's just been gone for a week from his wife. He's already missing his wife. And um, I remember our dad bought us an old piano. That's where we started playing. So I played the keyboard too. <clears throat> and then one day when they threw a foot like that, you know, my dad said, guys, you get off the stage and all of us, the brothers, we came up. And um, most of us play about every instrument except the brother in South Africa. He doesn't sing, doesn't play, no instrument, but he's a good preacher. So that's how we um, were raised and uh, saw the power of, uh, I'm telling you, we were in areas dangerous, dangerous, but God's protection. Oh, I've got a few minutes, God's protection. We learned so much from my mom and dad, you know, and uh, the miracles and um, traveling all over South Africa, dangerous areas. Let me go a little further. <clears throat> October the 2nd, 1985, was a day that I'll never forget. We were recording, we, um, we've written some songs too, and so we were recording an album in South Africa, the brothers, and... Uh, we came back to where my mom and dad lived in an apartment. And as we stopped, my mom ran out to us and said, you don't have a dad anymore. You don't have a dad anymore. And we said, mom, what's wrong? She said, your dad just passed away. What do you mean? It was Tuesday. Sunday he was still preaching. We were with him. Uh, what happened that Tuesday morning? He told my mom he's not feeling well. And um, he had a doctor friend that had a, a practice about 30 minutes from there. So he, my dad, and my oldest brother, he's also George. 
And uh, they went to see the doctor, you know, and the doctor said, Mr. McGregor, there's nothing. Uh, just about stress, you know, you've got. And uh, um, I've called an ambulance to take you to Johannesburg. That's the big city. And I'll see you there in about an hour or two. So uh, my dad got into the ambulance, lay down, and my dad gave my brother, oldest brother, his key of the car and said, see you later. And there was a paramedic next to him. And um, this paramedic told us as they were driving to Johannesburg, it was about a 40-minute drive, my, he would ask my dad questions. And my dad would answer him, you know, about the Bible. And then he asked him another question, and my dad didn't respond. Gone. Wow. 59 years old. We, it was the most devastating news from being healthy, preaching this strong tower, the man of God. But you know, when he gave his heart to the Lord in 1956, he said, Lord, I've wasted 30 years of my life. He was 30, almost 30. He said, the next 30 years, I'm going to work for you. Be careful what you say. Because uh, that time we had three services every day. Uh, nine in the morning for the older people, and then three for the youth, and at seven at night. Because the, uh, the senior people couldn't come at night. It's too dangerous. So he just worked himself so hard. My mom was devastated, the family. At his funeral, it was a Saturday. This was also amazing. Thousands came to his funeral. People had got saved on this ministry. And at his funeral, it was in the city hall. People spoke about him. And as we drove to the uh, cemetery, it was a light drizzle, and my mom requested all the brothers and my sister, and I was married that time, um, to have white suits on. And as they lowered the casket, I will never forget this image, we held hands, and one of my brothers, the second oldest, he said, why don't we take hands and make a vow? And the vow would be, Dad, where you left off preaching the gospel, we, your seven sons, will pick up that mantle and continue with the gospel. Because friends of ours and pastors and church people, and, you know, they said, oh, these McGregor's going to scatter now. The dad really kept them together, and now they're going to just do their own thing. No. It was that vow that kept us together. And today, as I said earlier, all seven brothers are preaching the gospel. Minister of the gospel never touched, touched drugs or anything. So that was 1985. In 1986 of May, I told my wife, Jolene, you'll meet her. And some of you, I'm not sure if you've met her. I said, Jolene, the Lord is calling us to the United States as missionaries. She said, are you serious? In 1984, we met a pastor in Austin, Texas. I'm not going to give a name or a last name, because some of you may be from Austin, Texas. All right? So uh, I called this brother. And I said, myself and Jolene, and that time we had a little girl. Her name is Juliet, like Romeo and Juliet. Uh, Juliet. And, um, and I called him, he said, I, I told him, brother, I almost 
Yeah, let me give his name, John, Pastor John. I said, Pastor John, we're coming to the United States. Will it be all right if we come as missionaries, work out of your church? He said, that would be great. So I started selling my stuff. Wow. The church, they blessed my family with a lot of things. Sold my car just to get the airline tickets. My wife said, you serious? And uh, we bought our tickets and... Um, I just thank the Lord that we didn't try and figure this thing out, how it's going to happen. Because here we're on our way to the United States as missionaries. And we had a lot of opposition in the United States too. We had pastors telling us, you should have stayed in Africa. We don't need missionaries in the United States. But America has become a mission field. And your pastor will agree with that. A lot of you will know that. You heard some of the stuff. Three genders. Even United Airlines have added now another gender. I'm not sure what the other gender is. I, I, just male, female. Uh, I'm not sure what the other one is. But we packed up our stuff, sold everything. Uh, I had $1,200 in my pocket. And then my wife told me, guess what? I'm pregnant. I said, how are you planning things? No, she's not here. If, I, if she was here, I couldn't have said this. I said, how do you plan things? We are going as missionaries to the United States, and you say you're pregnant. And guess who she was pregnant with? This young man right here. <laughs> so uh, she was about five months pregnant uh, when we came. And as we left South Africa, man, <laughs> the tears at the airport. I didn't even know we had each one a suitcase. $1,200 in our pocket, and we coming to the United States as missionaries. We came to that church in Austin, Texas, and I'm not going to get through with this testimony. I'm just going to give you um, some highlights. Hmm. Met the pastor there, and Jolene is pregnant. And then I got a call from my mom. She was still alive then. And uh, my second oldest brother and youngest. The youngest brother is also a pastor about 40 minutes from where I'm pastoring. His name is Johan. And um, they said they're coming. So we arrived in November the 6th, 1986. They would come the first week in February of 87. They said we need accommodation. Now... What I'm going to share is not to complain. I'm not complaining. I'm telling you a testimony, what God can do. We went to the pastor, myself and my wife, Jolene. We said, Pastor John, the family are coming. And what we've noticed next, next to the church, there's a parsonage. I'm not sure if you're familiar with the term parsonage. Some of our young guys here, you've never heard the word parsonage. Years ago, there was a church, and they built the pastor a house. But the parsonage was empty. Uh, they built the pastor a beautiful house down the road. So we looked through the window. I thought, this thing's falling apart right here. And when I asked some of the church members, they said, no, we're not using that place. And I said, Pastor John, um, could we perhaps use the parsonage for the family? Uh, I'll clean it up. He said, yeah, it's available, but it's going to cost you $250 a month. In 1986, that was a lot of money. 
$250 a month. We said, can you make it cheaper? Now, I'm just telling you how ignorant we were concerning the terms you use in the United States. He said, if you want something cheap, go to the projects. I turned to my wife, I said, what is the projects? Because a project, you know, a school project or... <laughs> we didn't know the term. He said, go to the projects and find something cheap. I had no idea what they meant. And I said, you know, I guess we have to take it. We cleaned it up. My mom came, two brothers, my uh, youngest brother, a uh, wife and uh, two kids. And I would see my mom sleep on the floor. Oh. My mom already paid the price in South Africa with my late dad. Can I show you just uh, a little testimony when they were in South Africa? Sometimes we wouldn't see our parents for two, three months, four months. And um, my dad was somewhere uh, south of Johannesburg in the crusade there. And what they usually did, that open-air services, and after the, the open-air service, somebody would come to them and say, you know, do you have a place to sleep tonight? We've got an extra room. Because there were no hotels in that area. And that's where they would sleep. But that night was a very poor village, and uh, they had a Chevy pickup. So it's my mom, my dad, my oldest brother, George, and the youngest uh, brother, Johan. And they were sitting, and it was cold, and my dad had the engine running. And my mom said, George, what about sleeping accommodation? My dad sat there. He thought somebody would come and just invite them to come and have a room. And he went to the one house, uh, the businessman in town, and the guy said, sir, we have seven families in our home. You know, they have like 20 people in a, in a house, nothing uncommon. And uh, he said, um, you know, we've got a little house that we are building just up the road. It doesn't have any windows, no doors, no roof yet, but uh, you could sleep there if you want to. My mom told us, they took some of the blankets, spread it out. Can you imagine sleeping on the floor, cement floor? And my mom said, my mom really shared a lot of things with us. She said, an hour later, she heard my dad started praying. And he walked up and down and said, God, this is too hard for me. My children are at home, a thousand miles away. Tonight, I'm resigning. I'm going to start another business, and the person you're going to raise up, I'll support that young man and his wife. But tonight, I'm resigning. In the morning, I'm going home. Hmm. It's getting very emotional for me, too. Hear my mom laying there watching my dad pacing up and down. And my mom said, as my dad was praying, he got quiet. And my mom said, What's wrong, George? He said, I just heard the voice of God say, Foxes have holes, the birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man had nowhere to lay his head. My dad said, I'm pulling back my resignation. 
Can you believe that? Foxes have holes. God spoke to him. And then he said, God, I, I'm sorry. And he repented right there. He said, I'm going on again. And I'll tell you, my oldest brother told us this just a few weeks ago. They went to a gas station, put some gas in, and another car pulled up. And they said, you, Brother McGregor, my family got saved under your ministry. And um, uh, he asked my dad, so where are you heading? He said, we are heading to Kimberley. That's uh, a beautiful town. And uh, the guy said, you know, we're going on vacation. Our, our house is wide open. Here's the key. Stay as long as you want. Four bedroom, they've got everything. Only God can do that. I've got like five more minutes. Things got really hard for us in Austin, Texas. Myself and my two brothers, we would go and knock at different churches, you know. Uh, we are missionaries from Africa. Could we come and sing for you, perhaps Wednesday night? No offering, you know, we just want to share what God is doing in Africa. Uh, you know, our program is full for the next five years. Could you come back, you know, like in five years? We needed a miracle then. So, listen to this. <laughs> I'm not going to be able to finish this. It's getting good. There was a gentleman in that church, and myself and my wife and our brothers, we all helped in the church, played different instruments, ministered, and um, his name is Butch. Butch Akers, I'm going to mention his name. Good brother. He was the bass player. I think he's the only bass player in Texas that can play any chord and it's completely off. <laughs> he plays the wrong chords, but he's got a good heart, you know. He's got an amazing heart, but Butch would play, you sing in G, he'll be in A. But he paid his tithes but he was, and faithful too. So I think that's more important, you know. But Butch looked at us, he loved us. He said, you brothers are my brothers. He said, my brother-in-law has got a landscaping business. And uh, he needs some guys to work. Now, the normal brain says, you know, we came to work for Jesus here. Uh, we are missionaries. Why should we do landscaping? And uh, we said, when can we start? We'll start in the morning, six in the morning. The three of us, our brothers. We came to preach the gospel, man. But nobody wanted us. Even the, the church there, it's like, Jolene was pregnant with you. And I'm not, I'm not complaining. Please, I'm not complaining. They never even gave your mom a shower. A baby shower. <laughs> Come on, I'm not sure if that's... Is Austin part of Texas? I know it's the capital. <laughs> Come on, don't hold that against me. You were born in Austin. <laughs> um, so early in the morning, man... We did landscaping. We were in the projects, the apartment areas, and we're from Africa, man. We're not uh, that savvy with stuff happening. And we thought in those apartments a lot of doctors and nurses lived there because we saw needles laying all over the place. Come on. <laughs> and uh, we would clean up, you know, do landscaping, throw out trash cans, and get home at night complaining, God, this is too hard, this is not why we came. But at least that brought money in to pay the $250 a month. And when we gave him the check, he would gladly take it. And then we had a problem with some of the guys working with us. 
said they put, uh, bring a lot of, um, what's it, mulch. And the three of us, just quick, you know, we, we put our big tents on it. We know how to work. Quickly do the mulching. They said, you guys from Africa, you stupid. If you work slow, this job could be three weeks. You do it in three days. I'm sure they had a point. We worked too fast for them. And um, things got hard. One day we had a family meeting. And we decided there that my mom should go back to South Africa. We have one sister there, and she will have a nice place to sleep. And But before she left, April 25th, Donna was born, 1987. Home birth, 10.3 ounces. I know men to us, that means nothing. If there were a few women here, they would... 10.3 ounces. They come big in Texas, you know. <laughs> so uh, Garner was born at home. And then we decided, Mom, you've got to go back. We cannot see you sleeping on the floor. We lost so much weight and felt so discouraged. And I'm going to end with this, and then next time, if I'm allowed, I'll continue. An evangelist from North Carolina came through town to preach a revival at that church. I'm going to mention his name, Brother Charles. And uh, the pastor of that church, as the brothers and my wife, she's a great keyboard player too. Um, could you lead the worship? Yeah, we did it. And he loved it. This evangelist loved our, our style of worship, you know. And, and he said, you know, when I leave here, I'm going back to North Carolina. I'll be back there in two weeks. I've got a tent ministry, and I would love for you guys to come and help us. And that seemed like a lifeline to us because we are starving. Austin is not working out. And there's a lot of circumstances that led to that that I don't want to go into detail. It's too long. And um, we made a decision. So it was myself and my youngest brother and our wives. And Ghana was like six weeks old. We went to Pastor John and we said, Sir, things are not working out for us here. We're going to leave next week, uh, Saturday. And uh, thank you for everything you've done. He said, That sounds good. He said, But what I want you to do Wednesday night, uh, you tell the people, they had like 200 people, you tell the people Wednesday night you're leaving, you know, and we'll receive you an offering. Will you give me two more minutes? Two more minutes, and I'm going to close. And then next time I'll, I'll share how we went to Nashville, being homeless. <laughs> That's part of the story. Uh, singing in front of a, a Walmart with a little guitar and a little keyboard. And from there, God made it possible for us to sing with the Brooklyn Tabernacle Choir in New York, a song that myself and my wife wrote. Um, just that, but God, only God can do that. So... Um, the Wednesday came, we shared, people were crying, and he said, these guys are leaving. The Saturday morning, it was a light drizzle, and he made sure, he said, I want you to clean the, uh, the parsonage. What do you mean clean? We found it like bad. And uh, take the carpets out, and here he pulled up with his truck. 
He said, guys, we're so good to have you here, you know, and God bless you, let's pray together. And then out of his pocket, he took an envelope, and he said, this is the offering for Wednesday night. And what I did, I just said, Lord, just bless the offering, bless our pastor, Lord, and take us safely to North Carolina, because we are on our way to North Carolina. Let me back up a little bit. Butch Akers, our friend, he had a, a friend at the bank, I think National Bank of Austin, and um, his friend was selling a Ford Econo line. I think most of the guys here have never heard of a Econo line. It's a Ford 15-seater. Yeah, he said he's never heard of a Ford Econo line, a two-tone, $2,000. And the bank gave us 2000 said, just pay as you can. Only in Texas can that happen. Yes, the guy said, you know, and yeah, Butch gave us a, a horse trailer. That's where all our stuff went in. And when it rained, everything was wet. But Butch, Lord, bless Butch right where he is, in Jesus' name. So um, as we pulled out, and I'm going to close right here. We're driving, I was driving, and a few miles out of Austin, Texas, on our way now through Louisiana to North Carolina. I took the check out, opened it up. $17. I showed it to my brother next to me. He said, that's impossible. When I showed it to the wives at the back, they screamed, how can he give us $17 for all the hard work? I said, he's sending us a message. Don't come back. <laughs> and I'm telling you, I saw this brother... I, I'm not complaining. I'm not downing this man. God had everything worked out. I saw him a few years ago. And I spoke to him, wonderful, you know. And I saw him there close to Beeville, Texas. And had a wonderful time. Never brought anything, anything up. I have forgiven him. Because God orchestrated the whole thing. And next time, you know, I'll share how we came to North Carolina. Another disappointment, I had to sleep in a truck. And this guy had three bedrooms upstairs that he wouldn't allow us to sleep in. Open. Nobody in the bedrooms upstairs. But that's for next time. Pastor John Mark, thank you so much for allowing me to share this. And pray for us, our church in uh, Murfreesboro, you know. It's not the same. We're gone and out there, but this is God ordained. This is where he needs to be. And the other good thing, we're going to have two Texans, twins, two Texans. So you're the first Texan born in the McGregor family. Yeah. And I hope I don't offend as our pastor comes. I don't want to offend anybody. American by birth, but the Texan by the grace of God. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, thanks.